So we're going to jump in. Like I said, we're going to be covering quite a bit of ground. Have you ever asked the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Maybe you never asked the question specifically, but for me it looks a little different. Uh, the question for me is like, God, why? Why do I have to go through this stuff? Why is this happening with another person? Why haven't I been blessed? And really what I find in this question when I'm asking it, it's a question fueled by the comparison game. When we start looking at other people and seeing what God's doing in their lives, whether we perceive them as good or bad, and then we look in the mirror and we see our own life, and we wonder sometimes, why God him? Why her? Why not me? Have you forgotten me? Have you forsaken me, God, why, God, why? I think we all ask that question. Uh, today, I want to just ask you, can we get into God's Word together? Can we see what His Word says about our condition? And that's what I'd like to do this morning. So I want to start off, uh, we want to start off our time in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Genesis chapter 3. Let's read this verse together. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. There was an, a, a moment here in human history. God had created perfection in the garden, a place where he would be with his people, his people would be with him. And there was a moment of an awakening. It says their eyes opened and they perceived or they knew that they were naked. So the first thing that we have to understand in answering this question is that we live in a broken world. We live in a broken world. This world is not perfection. This is not Eden. This is not heaven. We are walking in a place of brokenness. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I already did it a little bit, but I'm going to brag again, guys. I don't know if you guys know this, but Danny is kind of a legend in Arkansas. Like, we speak on the work in Brooklyn in, like, hush terms. Like, the, this is like the mecca of the cool part of what God's doing in the U.S. And, and Danny came, and, and he preached in front of our church at two services, and people left, uh, maybe, and said, man, this guy's great. I want to go visit him. We've got people in Arkansas that want to come to your neighborhood and walk these streets and experience this culture. But this is what I want you to know. If you're finding your hope in Danny, you're going to be disappointed. Danny is a broken dude. If we look to any other human being to fulfill us, we will be disappointed in this life. If you are looking to a spouse to make you whole, you will be angry at your spouse. If you think that when you get the picture-perfect family and that your kids grow up and they're insta-worthy, right, and it's like everyone's not crying at the right moment, and I'm going to I finally got all my dreams have been fulfilled in this family. You're going to be disappointed. If you're looking to a career to, to fulfill you, if you think, man, if I could just land the right job or live in the right place, you will be disappointed. None of those things can fulfill you. We live in a broken world. When sin entered the hearts of Adam and Eve and they chose to go away other than God, that changed the game for planet Earth. That changed the game for all of humanity. There is now a relational vandalism that exists with us. If I say something to you that is untrue, then our trust has been depleted. And trust has been depleted in our culture, has it not? 
We have trust issues with our government. We have trust issues with our neighborhood. We have trust issues with our police departments, right? There are There is a relational vandalism that exists because of sin. We live in a broken and fallen world. That's just what we live in. It's, it's just a reality. It's a sad reality. Honestly, in the last two days of walking the streets of New York, I've been reminded of my own brokenness. I don't know if y'all noticed, there's a lot to see here, okay? You, you come up out of Arkansas, the, the population of one of your neighborhoods is like the population of our whole city, right? You walk in these streets, it's like, I'm, I'm just thinking like, I, you feel like a little kid again, right? You just It just has this aura. I am quickly reminded of my brokenness. The last 48 hours of where my mind goes, where my eyes go, the temptations that are around every corner on these streets is an eye-opening experience to the power of sin. And we as followers of Jesus have to take sin seriously. Sin has, a, has negative repercussions on our life. It has negative repercussions on our soul. It damages our mind. It damages our heart. Our world is broken. And what happened when Adam and Eve saw this? They were naked and ashamed. And so they covered themselves. And that's what shame does. Shame causes us to cover ourselves. Some of us are driven by fear. Fear causes us to hide. Some of us carry inordinate amounts of guilt. And that, um, that guilt makes us run to places and blame shift on others. And Adam and Eve were no different. And neither are we. The second verse that I want us to look at is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. First Peter chapter one verses six and heaven seven. Let's read this together. In this you now rejoice, that now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I want us to know today that God has purpose in your pain. I told you the bad news. We live in a broken world, ridden with sin, but God has purpose in the pain that you have experienced in your past and purpose in the pain that you are experiencing in your present. I don't know you. I don't know the majority of you. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your week went, what, how your week was this week. But I know this, that God has a purpose in all of that pain for his children. Paul says here that you've been grieved by various trials. But these trials produce a genuineness of faith. I want us to reframe our pain for just a moment. I don't like pain. Do you like pain? I don't like pain. Pain's not fun. Nobody likes pain. I experienced a whole lot of pain about, actually, the last time I saw Danny, I had been... Um, restoring this 1977 Volkswagen Westphalia camper bus. And I've been doing it for about a year, and it's cost me way more than I thought it would, and it's taken a lot more time. I was cutting out this rusty step with a steel grinder, and the blade exploded, and it threw a piece of the blade into my face. It went through my lip and into my gums. It nearly busted my teeth. It took 18 stitches inside and out to sew my face back together. And thankfully, 
it healed over time. But that scar has a story to it. And every time I look in the mirror, especially when I shave, I'm reminded of that story. And you've got scars. You've got stories, don't you? So scars have stories, but we also have wounds. And wounds have words. While our scars have stories, our wounds have words. And there are things that have happened in your life that have wounded all of us. The sin has ravaged parts of our soul that we cannot shake or seem to not be able to shake. Maybe these wounds for you involve being picked last as a kid, picked over, not being in, invited to the really important dance, feeling unwanted or feeling unloved in some capacity. Each of us carry wounds whether we know it or not. I was uh, recently in a counseling session. I have a, a friend who's a therapist, and and we go through uh, long conversations together. When you're engaged in ministry, uh, it's just great to be able to check in. And, to, and, and really, that's not just for those of us engaged in ministry. It's for those of us in life. When we talk about the problems that we carry, that sin in some ways loses its power. Confession is good for the soul. And we were walking through some of my childhood stuff, and one of my earliest memories, I grew up in a place very different than where we're sitting right now. It's a place called Jamestown, Arkansas. It was on the side of a mountain in the Ozarks, and, and, and there was no neighbors for a long way. We lived in a house trailer, and uh, my mom cleaned houses, and my dad would drop her off at houses as he would go to his work for the highway department. We grew up very poor. And the majority of my days and evenings were spent dribbling a basketball on a dirt court. It started as some old rocks and grass, but after about five years, I had me a pretty good court built up there, and I would shoot layups until my mom would make me come in and get ready for bed. And I realized that in those years of spending all that time alone, that I developed this idea that I was insignificant, that I was alone and that no one wanted me. And it's taken me a lot of years as an adult to realize that and to get over that, to let the gospel and invite Jesus into that space. We all carry wounds. And so a lot of the mornings, my, in, in the mornings I have to remind myself of God's truth. And I have to say, no, no, Jesus loved me and sought after me, and I am significant because of the worth and value that he brings to my life. That I am loved and prized by majesty. That I am created as God's masterpiece, that I am made holy and blameless, and I am made righteous in Christ. And I have to believe those true things that God says about me and kick out those lies that maybe the world has told me or that I've developed as a result of my wounds. And here's why I tell you that story is because you have wounds too. Whether or not you recognize those wounds is a different story. I have good news for you. Jesus wants to come into the picture in those wounds. He doesn't just want to heal the Sunday morning part of you, the public gathering part of you where you drink coffee and sing songs. Jesus wants to heal every single part of you. That's good news. He wants to speak truth into our hearts and souls and, and, and take those lies that the world and the enemy throws at us and speak truth over those things as we are made whole and new. See, Jesus didn't just want to save you that one day when you were a kid. Jesus wants to keep saving you over and over. We need him every day. And so to take up our cross is to allow Jesus to save us again today from ourselves, to save us from those wounds 
and those emotions. Psalm chapter 34. So not only do we live in a broken world, but God has purpose in your pain. I want you to look at Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. God is present in your pain. God is present in your pain. Thank Him that we serve a present God. That He doesn't rule from some far distant galaxy on His throne. Barking orders are somehow removed from our daily lives. That is not the God of the Bible. That is not the Jesus we serve, that he is ever present with us in times of trouble. Have you ever met a married couple that never fights? I had a, I had a, 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 a couple at my church that swore, yeah, we just, we don't fight. We don't fight, yeah. I'm like, really, you don't fight? And I'm like, yeah, no, no, we never raise our voices, we never fight. And I was constantly perplexed. And as we started getting to know one another, and God started doing a work in them, their fights started increasingly. It was, it, they, were, they were growing in conflict, and they were actually beginning to process the real-life stuff that they had pretended never existed in the name of love and peace. Here's some really great news. It's actually better to have conflict and to commit than to have no conflict at all. See, if your life would have been easy, your faith would have never been tested. And a faith that has never been tested cannot be trusted. When we, when we conflict, when we are forced to decide whether or not we believe God in a hard and difficult world, difficult world, then our faith begins to blossom. It begins to create a metal in us when we really have to wrestle with the tough things of the world. When it, at those times when we feel like God is distant or when He hasn't seen us and we allow God's truth, it's just like that marriage. It begins to grow in intimacy. With no conflict, there is no real intimacy. There's not a person that I trust more on this earth than my wife. We've been married for 14 years. And there's also never a person that I have fought with more on this earth than my wife. We are able to talk through our feelings. We're able to talk through our hurts. We're able to talk through our differences because we love one another. And, and we're allowing that conflict to reinforce our commitment. And our faith with Jesus ought to be the same. If you've never wrestled with the Lord, I'm probably going to go out on a limb here and say that you have a very weak faith. Have you ever met a person with a strong faith that had an easy life? Who, what, what are the stories of faith that impress us? It's the, it's the story of the woman battling with cancer who trusts Jesus as the tears flow. Those are the stories of faith that inspire us. It's those who have nothing and trust. It's, it's, it's sitting under the mango tree in Africa with people who have nothing and seeing their faces just light up and lift their hands and dance at the name of Jesus. Those are the faiths that move me. It's, it's those with deep pain, with large amounts of conflict, that have found ways that, to increase their faith and trust in ever-loving God. He is present with us in our pain. 
Our God is near to those of us who are in pain. The times when it's easy to believe that He's the furthest, it's in those times that our Father is actually the nearest to us. Did you know that scar tissue actually feels stronger on the backside of an injury? I broke up. Uh, I broke my leg as a kid. I fell off the second step of a ladder. I know that's a super super cool story, right? The second step of a ladder, and I I, I, I snapped, and I told my mom. I was like, "Mom, my leg hurts," and she's like, "Oh, you'll be fine. You'll be fine." My dad's like, "We're not seeing a doctor. We didn't have any money." And that leg is stronger than my other leg. That bone is stronger. Medically, that's how scars and wounds heal. They they heal stronger. When we have these breaks in our life spiritually, it's actually an opportunity to grow in a way that it was impossible without the break. God wants to heal us stronger than before. God is present in our pain. Here's some really great news. Revelation 21 John says it well, Revelation 21, verse 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is within man, with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with us, with them as their God. Verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. One day we have a future with God in heaven forever. Where pain will never exist. There will be no pain. God will wipe every eye. And that day is a day to look forward to with great anticipation. This is the day when we leave this world and enter the next. Enter a place with Jesus forever, for all of eternity. A place with no pain. And that should give us great hope. God will dwell with His people and He will be their God. He will heal all of our pain. He will wipe every eye. But the great news is even that we don't have to just wait for that day. But he's actually with us today. That through the death, the burial and resurrection of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is here with you in the midst of your pain. One day it will be erased forever. Until then, God has left a, another comforter, Jesus says. If you unpack the original meaning of that text, it's, Jesus was saying, there is one who is like me who will be with all of you. The Holy Spirit, it would like Jesus in person in all of us when we say yes to Him. That our, actually our bodies are put to death and we're made new in Christ. We have a new hope, a new purpose, a new heart. He has made us new and Jesus is with us. So, the last point comes from Romans 3. 23. Romans 3.23 Maybe this is a passage that you've 
heard before. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our sin has separated us from God. We have we're we're we are not good people. And so as we go back to our original question, why did bad things happen to good people? I want us to consider reframing that question. Jesus is good, and he died for bad people. And when we realize that we are broken people, that we are actually bad, it kind of changes our perspective of who God is and what he has done for us. Jesus is good, and he died for bad people. I had a mentor as a kid. His name was Rob. And Rob would tell me all the time, Joe, I'm not good. I'm not good. And honestly, Rob was one of the best people I knew. Rob was the kind of guy who I would drive down the street and he'd be mowing an old lady's yard at 6 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, who does that? You know, that's just, that's servant leadership. Like, Rob was one of the kindest men that I ever knew. And he would tell me all the time, Joe, I'm not good. I'm not good. And what he was doing was planting a seed in me that made me realize that none of us are good. And so when I'm walking down the street of New York City and my eyes begin to wander and my mind begins to wander, and then I think, why am I, why, I'm supposed to preach tomorrow. I'm supposed to preach and my mind is here, then I can take solace in the fact that I'm not good. God reminds me in that moment, hey, <laughs> you're not good. Stop beating yourself up. Stop carrying that. You're not walking into Swerve Church on your own merit. You're not walking in there because you deserve to be there. Joey, you're a bad person, and I'm good, and I love you. And you can stand on that. You can bank on that. Rather than living with the guilt of being the bad person, then we can live in the freedom of being God's people. That is such good news. My heart needs that every single day. I am broken, and so are you. We're not good people. That's the bad news of the gospel. Our sin separates us from Jesus. There's a prevailing thought in our world today that tells us that if we'll be good enough, God will love us. And we all live by that unwritten rule. If I'll just be good enough. Oh, today was a good day. I'm feeling good about myself. I stumbled. I must be a terrible and miserable person. And we slip off into this place of self-defeat. Or we walk into a religious circle and then we put on this piety or this false self-religion, this self-righteousness that it doesn't honor God either. The world will tell you that the answer to all of your problems is higher self-esteem. You just need to think high, more highly of yourself. You're a good person. You need to follow your dreams and passions. You are good. Get back to that and be that. It's not what Scripture says. It's not what Romans 3.23 says. And then we do this thing in the church. Maybe you don't do it here, but where I'm from, we do this thing in the church where, like I expressed earlier, we, we put on, it's like, well, you just need to be more humble. You need to you need to lower yourself. That's humility. Like, lower your ego. And so we kind of walk around beat up by religion. And we live this kind of Eeyore Christianity, right? Like, oh, who is me? I a terrible person, you know, and our shoulders slump on you. It's like your posture reflects that. But that's not of God either. That's not what God says that we are. 
So what is it? If it's not higher self-esteem, but it's not lower self-esteem, what is it? Well, I think what the gospel teaches us is actually self-forgetfulness. See, you don't think of yourself higher or think of yourself lower, but I think the gospel calls us to think of ourselves less. See, when we're in Christ, we don't even have, I don't have to, I don't care what Joey thinks, what you think of Joey, or whatever I think of myself. Those things don't matter to me. The only thing I'm defined by at that point is what God says about me and who I am in Christ. And because I'm walking in that place, when I can get to that place and I'm starting to walk by faith and not by sight and the opinions of others affect me less and less, then I know that I am actually walking in the freedom of Christ Jesus. That I can live as a free man, not held captive by the world's or the church's view of me, but only by what God says about me. I shouldn't think more high of myself or more low of myself, but I'm actually learning to think of myself less. I'm, I'm, I'm in this journey right now of, of trying not to create every sing, take every single happening that goes on around me and relate it to myself. But rather, walk in light of the gospel and be a blessing to those that I come around, not worrying what I get out of the deal. It's self-forgetfulness. Uh, Tim Keller, just down the road from here, wrote a book. Uh, called the freedom of self-forgetfulness, and we're sharing it church-wide now. We're really trying to walk in this gospel freedom. We live in a culture that is inundated with self. We we have a we have we live in a country that was created on the platform of self-promotion and and getting somewhere. It's the American dream is to get to where we want to be, and those are all good things. They're not necessarily bad things, but I'm not sure that they're God things. Jesus is good and died for bad people. The part of Romans 3 that we rarely get to is verse 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and 24, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God put forward as a propitiation for His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over our former sins. That is such good news. That we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption of Christ Jesus. We need to just breathe that in for a moment. That you are justified not by your actions, not by your ministry, not by your marriage, not by your family, not by your IRA, that you're not justified by anything that could be taken from you or that you could earn, but you are justified by the grace of Jesus. When we begin to live and breathe and walk in that, that will transform our days. It'll transform our decisions. It will, just, it will transform our self-image. It will help us walk in gospel freedom. So, in closing... I have three quick points that God has reminded of, reminded in me through these passages. One is, life is hard. Let's just be honest. Life is tough. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you're from, what part of the world you live in. Life is hard. Second, God is good. He really is. We serve a really good God who gave of himself for us. 
And the third part that I am trying to learn to walk in every single day is that you are not alone. Even on your darkest hour, at the back end of getting fired or the fight that you had at home or the fact that you're confident that your kids are headed down a terrible, slippery slope leading to the destruction of their lives, in those moments you are not alone. God is near to our pain. He's close to us. His nature is good, and He's shown us that in, in the cross of Jesus Christ. And He walks with you, no matter where you are or what you're going through. Thank you, Jesus, for that. I want to just I want to pray over us as we close this morning. Jesus, we are so grateful. For what you have done for us. That you. He who knew no sin. Became sin. You you died in our place. You took the weight of our guilt. And you gave of yourself. So that we didn't have to live. In your consequence of sin. And you did that joyfully. And because of your love for us. And Lord, that ought to be a reminder for self-forgetfulness that, Lord, our lives are not our own, that we were bought with a price. We were ransomed from slavery into freedom. That is good news. Lord, that means that we don't have to be victims, <laughs> victims to the opinions or actions of others. We don't have to be victims of, of, of self-harm. We, we've been broken free from the victim mentality, Lord, that yes, life is hard, but you are so good that we can actually walk as free men and free women in the grace that you offer. Help us, Lord, when we ask the question to realize the truth of your word and to see the great lengths that you went to win us back to tell a better story of your redemption for all time, for all of humanity. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in your name.